All right, welcome to the conversation on TYT Network. Uh, boy, we've got an interesting topic for you guys today. Uh, we're gonna talk about Q. Uh, in fact, it's a six part documentary series out on HBO called Q Into the Storm. Uh, it's directed by Colin Hoback. Good news, we have Colin on the show. Colin, how you doing? <laughs> hey, uh, doing well. Doing All right, well. Great. Uh, Look, I, I know this took three years for you to, to make, uh, and I'm super interested in that process uh, and what you found out, especially about who Q might be. If you guys don't know, we might reveal it right now, unless you already watched the series. All right, anyway. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, stop, pause, hit the pause button, go watch the series, and then come back if you haven't watched it yet. The, right. The spoiler alert is out of the way. That's okay. right. And uh, as my uh, daughter would say, we don't want to spoil the beans for you. Okay, um, okay, but I do want to show you the trailer. Colin, let's watch the trailer first, then I want to ask a question. Anybody, I'll show them Q proofs and say, look, talk me out of it. Have, Have you, you heard, heard of the Q? The what? QAnon? What had started in an online forum had crawled out from behind the screen to the seat of power, all with the help of a single letter. And we're gonna win big. You just watch. In 2018, I set out to chart Q's origins. I wrote the first part of 8chan while I was coming off of psychedelic mushrooms. <laughs> You can really find yourself falling down a hole trying to find out who Q is. I'm pretty sure Q is a spin-off from Star Trek. Q is whatever you want it to be. Sometimes they'll even think it's me. I have a question. You're going through a possible list of who Q might be. That's right. <laughs> You're on the list. Well, let's continue then. <laughs> Indeed. Well, you did. You did continue. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we get to who, let's start with where. Uh, where did Q start? Where did Q start? Uh, well, Q actually started on an image board called 4chan, uh, and then it moved to 8chan, uh, which likes to uh, consider itself uh, the darkest reaches of the internet. Um, so yeah, Q was technically on 4chan for eh, about a month, and then it jumped over to 8chan, uh, this anonymous persona, uh, which is where it, it remained. Um, you know. In, in perpetuity. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, when I when I jumped into this, I thought, well, gosh, uh, why don't I see if I can get a hold of the guys who run HN, see if they'll talk to me. And the reason, of course, is because they ran the website where Q was posting at the time. And I figured if anyone knew who was behind Q, it would be those who actually had the technical data. Well, that's indisputably true, which I want to come back to in a second. Uh, but come to think of it, you know, even though uh, most people know what Q is these days, especially if they watch more news or political shows like ours. Um, we should go back and, and explain what Q pretends to be because they might not know all the details. So, and then we'll get back to A Chan and, and the uh, founders of it, etc. But what is what does Q claim he is? And let me start there before I get sure. into why people believed him. Right. Well, the Q narrative sort of forms over time. Uh, Q isn't exactly uh, consistent in the beginning. Uh, so even the idea of Q isn't introduced until I think 
one of those later posts, like post 68 or something like that, or a Q clearance patriot. And what this uh, anonymous insider claims to be is uh, someone very close to the president who is part of a top secret plan uh, trying to take down this evil global cabal. Uh, usually they'll say they're engaged in pedophilia or eating babies, things like that. Um, so very evil people. And this anonymous insider is released, supposedly releasing uh, you know, sort of cryptic messages as part of a secret plan in concert with Donald Trump and certain uh, military or ex-military actors. Uh, that's the that's how the the story goes. Yeah, I can't help it. I'm just going to skip forward asking why. Why would anybody believe that? So there's got you know as you look at his adherents and the followers, etc. Um, like for most rational people, the minute you see they're eating babies, you click out, right? Like that. Okay, that's insane. We're moving forward. A giant group of people in this country were like, oh, they're eating babies. That makes total sense. Let me keep following this guy. Any any shot at why? Sure. I mean, I think that there's a there's a few things that can bring people into Q. But I think that what Q does is it takes all of the sort of banality of evil in the world. You know, all of these things that all these forces that are making people's lives pretty terrible, but are kind of hard to put a finger on. It takes all of that and repackages it into something that's really easy to understand, even though it's almost entirely false, which is that, you know, yeah, there's this evil group of people that are out there doing all of this. And all you have to do is take them down. And at some point, they'll be taken down and everything will be fine. So what Q kind of does is it uses an almost like religious way of thinking about things. It almost takes heaven and hell. But instead of saying that it's out in the ethereal, it puts it right here on Earth. And then casts pretty much anyone uh, you know who is helping build the Q narrative or uh, or the Q wants to cast as a bad guy. Uh, so yeah, they just kind of pick who they want <laughs> and then come up with reasons to say that they're a part of the part of this sort of evil group. Well, you know, Cullen, I actually think that you hit those two themes that I have noticed when I've interviewed people who follow Q. I started interviewing them because I thought this is amazing. I, I want to know why they're following it and how could anybody possibly believe this? I mean, we even found someone who uh, used to be a Bernie Sanders supporter who follows Q. So it's not exclusively right wing, but it's overwhelmingly predominantly right wing. Um, and that guy by now mm-hmm. is a Trump supporter anyway. Uh, but the t- two things that I noticed as a common themes is religion. Um, and so to me, as a atheist, the idea of Satan seems comical. It's a mythological character. It's like saying that you believe in Odin. So it doesn't occur to me to have that be believable for one second. But for religious people, they kept saying Satan is real, Satan is in the world, and religion taught them that. So to them, the idea of this these evil forces, not only molesting kids, but to but actually eating them and and drinking their brain juice seems kind of normal. And so if we're being honest, does religion play a large role in this? I mean, obviously a lot of those who follow Q are evangelical. You find a number of people who have military backgrounds. But when people ask me, well, why can people believe in a lot of the stuff that, that, that a lot of the theories that 
Q welcomes into the fold. And you know, Q welcomes pretty much any theory that you can come up with into the fold. I just say, I bring up what you just said, basically, which is, well, why do people believe in religions? Um, and there are some religious beliefs that are <laughs> that, I, that, I, that I would personally consider to be rather bananas. And yet, we accept that uh, as part of society and people who go about their lives have some pretty wild beliefs. So it doesn't really surprise me that much that people would be able to believe something like this. And I, I do think that it tends to draw in people who are more prone to religious or conspiratorial thinking. Uh, but that's not necessarily true across the board. Nor is it true that people who believe in Q are unintelligent um, or even uneducated. There are a lot of people who believe in Q who have college degrees. Yeah, I've seen unintelligent people have college degrees. Uh, <laughs> I went to college. <laughs> well, I saw yeah, but I mean, there's lots of, you mean, <laughs> I, I, sure. Yeah, I, I get, I get. I, I hear you, I hear you. And and by the way, people can be intelligent in one way and very unintelligent in other ways. So I understand that too, our minds work in, in interesting ways. Myself included, right? Yeah, oh, me too, <laughs> so. absolutely. You should see me trying to pack a trunk. I, I couldn't do it if my life depended on it. If you saw that me in that context, you'd think world's biggest idiot. But if you see me in this context, half the country still thinks the same thing. Anyway, so <laughs> in terms of the the second half, though, um, let me bounce this off you. Um, I think that the mainstream media has alternative facts, and so when I say that, I don't mean like they're actually. Not none of these conspiracies where they get in a smoke-filled room and they just make up a story out of whole cloth and all that stuff. But no, they have a certain spin on the facts. So here's the most obvious example. Over 90% of the country believes that politicians are corrupt. And they're right that we have legalized bribery. They're called campaign contributions and the people just can give them millions of dollars and buy them, right? Uh, but everyone on television, everyone at the New York Times and Washington Post tells you they're wonderful, honorable people who are all have these ideological differences. They have ideas, they have principles, and they're actively debating them. So that's nonsense. And and I, in a sense, I want to give Republicans credit for figuring out that that's nonsense first. I think the Democrats are a little bit more credulous overall. Uh, but it has then led them to look for alternative theories, no matter how absurd they might be. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. So, yeah, people often say, "Well, how you know? Uh, what's the solution to all this stuff?" And I actually say the same answer for every documentary I've ever made, which is campaign finance reform. <laughs> uh, you know, getting rid of citizens united, getting money out of politics. Like until you do that, we're just going to keep having these kind of problems. And I think that what happened, and why part of why so many people are drawn to Q, who have a real like anti-government, anti-mainstream media um, perspective, is that yeah, they feel like they're not being told the truth. They've they've um, experienced institutions failing them, whether it's the banking crisis, housing crisis. Whether it's you know the biggest lie of my lifetime, which was WMDs in Iraq, um, you know, or it's like lead in the drinking water. And you're just you, and the things just start to pile up, and people are like, okay, I'm done, I'm checking out. Like mainstream media, I don't feel like it's telling me the truth, and so they start looking elsewhere. And that does, and while they're looking elsewhere, uh, it's possible that they find even less reliable narrators, right? Um, but I think that that it is a a byproduct of um, yeah, of, of people feeling like they need to go elsewhere to find 
the truth. Uh, so that I think is one one big one big piece of it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so um, now let's go back to uh, how this all started. So. For people who are unfamiliar with all this lingo, they don't know what 4chan or 8chan are. So can you help explain what, what those are and who's on them and, and so we understand how Q arises and who he's talking to in the beginning? Sure, so chans are kind of old school websites that are basically internet forums. If you've ever been to Reddit, it's like a more, it's like a simpler version of, of Reddit and there are different Themes and each theme gets its own sort of section or forum, and uh, so Q ended up having its own basically forum on uh, 4chan and then 8chan. Well, on 8chan, on 4chan, it was part of a politically incorrect forum. Um, so these, you know, these sites don't really have algorithms. They're kind of they're hard to engage with, and they have lots of uh, like really intense. Content grotesque, um, you know. You'll you'll come across like Nazi propaganda. Um, it has everything under the sun. A lot of pornography. So this is you know kind of where Q is swimming. Um, and these sites have been around since the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, so they're not particularly new. Uh, of course, what is new are, are the algorithms from the last decade. And I guess even feeding back to our last you know, point of like what's driving people, um, the algorithms that you know, are underlie all of this technology or beneath all of this technology, I mean, that's really what's changed, right? Like the, it's not these forums like 8chan and 4chan. It is um, big tech's algorithms which have driven us into echo chambers and if you go back to you know eight years ago when privacy was being increasingly eroded and they were collecting all of these data points on each of us, well now they have thousands of data points and they were able to use those data points to um, you know build psychometric profiles on each of us. And those psychometric profiles were then used to manipulate us and push us in different directions. We ended up in echo chambers and now you know people have really extreme ideas. Um, and it's those algorithms that are driving us towards more and more sensational content. And it's one of the things that drove us more and more towards or drove a lot of people towards towards Q. And now there's this conversation around um, you know, getting rid of Section 230, which is basically the law that protects free speech online. And so I I think that what's happened is you have Google and these big tech companies are basically saying anything. Talk about anything but our business model. Talk about anything, changing anything you want, but don't get rid of the algorithms and don't let us stop mining people's data. Um, so a lot of people look at 4chan and 8chan and say, okay, well, if we get rid of those sites, it'll solve the problem. Uh, and I would say that actually those sites are not the problem. Um, it is the big big tech's algorithms that are the problem. Yeah, it's the problem and the solution, but that's a longer conversation. But um, <laughs> well, the the cause of and solution to all of life's problems, right? Yeah, algorithms. Well, yeah, in a <laughs> sense, uh, and soon life itself. Uh, okay, so uh, but I do want to talk about social media because I think that's really really interesting. Look, they spread this um, mythology about Q so effectively. I, I I don't know if you have access to. I don't know if anybody does. The percentage of the country that believes in Q, um, but it's clearly a very large number. 
No, you know, and so I've seen numbers all over the place. Yeah, as high as seventeen percent. Yeah, and so that's why I say that because they're so all over the place. It's hard to, you know, nail it down. But but the minute you get over ten percent, that's a monster number. A monster number. That's over thirty million people, right? And so seventeen percent. We're talking about fifty million people. So that's not eight chan and four chan. Eight chan is like I mean it's it's really interesting and ironic that a right wing Republican theory comes out of a place filled with pornography <laughs> the party of theoretically family values and traditional values etc but Q is not just is it ironic yeah. is it ironic well that's a good question but <laughs> um, but but seriously though I see tons of middle aged middle class people who believe in Q. And they did not get that from HN. That the suburban housewife did not go on HN to and trudge through Nazi propaganda and porn to get to her information. So no, where most, does it, most people who follow Q have never been to HN. That's right. The vast majority. So I know I want to get to the identity in a second. That's always super interesting. But but this is to me is even more interesting. Where how does it jump? How does it jump from HN to where? Where does it jump next? We say social media, but social media is a blob. Where, where does it jump to next where it actually picks up traction so that it could reach 30 to 50 million people? Yeah, one of the things that I really tried to chronicle in the series is this information hierarchy and how the information or the ideas of Q or the theories of Q kind of escape the chance. And that's what I was getting at a second ago with these algorithms, right? Um, I think of Q almost as a seed that was planted on the chans, but it required the algorithms to sort of water it and help it grow. Um, and of course, that would only work if there were voices who were getting this out to the masses. And so in the case of Q, you saw very early on a number of uh, well, we call them now QTubers, but these are YouTubers who were uh, looking to get an edge. They were looking to gain attention, gain an audience. And by talking about Q, especially very early on, they found that you they would be showered with attention. Um, you know, they had access supposedly to this you know government insider. Um, it was a really entertaining narrative. There was this interactive game component to all of it that allowed people to kind of participate in a process of coming up with new theories daily. And then those new theories that were based on these sort of Q drops where Q was asking questions would be um, analyzed by the QTubers. And I, I think of the QTubers almost like priests who were analyzing these Q drops, like a priest might analyze a passage from the Bible to tell its their flock how to how to think about it. And so, what you had was lots of people started turning to QTubers, and they might listen to them daily um, to get their daily analysis on um, what the meaning of Q's drops were. And so, it started spreading out through YouTube. And because these conversations were highly sensational in nature. It drove more, you know, the algorithms drove more and more people to these channels. So I know QTubers who are making over six figures a year just talking about Q. Yeah. And then it picks up momentum because some Washington players get involved. So who are those Washington yeah, players so and how did they get involved? Yeah. So Q picks up speed pretty quickly. And 
the first big Washington player to get involved, you may have heard his name before because he was one of the biggest promoters of the birther conspiracy around Obama. Uh, and then going back all the way to the Swift Boat campaign, Veterans for Truth against John Kerry and his election. And this person's name is Jerome Corsi. Uh, he was at the time a correspondent for Alex Jones. Uh, Jerome Corsi is the first kind of big name, DC kind of insider, um, close friends with Roger Stone, uh, you know, to, to glom on to QAnon. He starts talking about Q about six weeks in, brings it to Alex Jones, and then you start to see Q really boom from that point. I mean, I wouldn't say that that was the moment that it went mainstream. It depends on if you think of Alex Jones as mainstream or not. But it was certainly the moment that it, it crossed over from just being, you know, a few people catching on to this on Twitter to YouTube to a, you know, a, a, a wider audience of, you know, middle-aged folks. Who are used to hearing Alex, but now Alex Jones was talking about about QAnon, um, and after that, you start to see more of these figures who are all part of the same network, um, whether it's Roger Stone or someone like General Flynn, or uh, we get into another general in the series, General Paul Vallely, who in 2018 see that this narrative that's bubbling up from the chans is really useful for them. Um, it's useful for them politically. Uh, these guys were all like they were a lot. They were all embattled. Um, they had legal charges that they were dealing with, and so here was Q saying, actually, uh, people like Roger Stone, General Flynn, Julian Assange. These are all the good guys. Um, so it was a narrative that was really supportive of them, uh, and so they over time started leaning into it. Uh, in fact, some of the QTubers like uh, uh, Liz Crokin and uh, Jordan Sather, some of the first people to kind of start talking about Q, said that General Flynn was sending the messages privately, uh, saying, you know, keep going. So, what starts is this sort of organic interactive game on 4chan, moves to 8chan, um, quickly starts gaining real political capital. And by the end of 2019, going into 2020, um, You'll you'll see in the series uh, that that's when real political force starts really getting behind Q, and a lot of these individuals who are maybe one foot in, one foot out, go all in. Yeah, and so unfortunately, there is some concentric circle that involves lunatics in the Republican Party, and so there are some people like General Flynn who are full blown lunatics. And Republicans and and want to take advantage of something that other lunatics believe for their political benefit. It's just the reality of our current day politics. And so, in a sense, we've made the question of who is Q irrelevant because it's that it resonated for a certain reason, and then some Republican politicians and pundits use it for another reason, and that's why it became large. So the Q is the people who believe in Q more than it is as individual. That that's a lot of what I got from you know from the series from well, this. Well, I mean that's what, that's what they'll say, right? But in reality, part of what gave Q so much power was anonymity. So to all of those who believed in Q, they could tell themselves 
oh, uh, maybe it's General Flynn or maybe it's President Trump, you know, secretly using this image board to get messages out to them. Um, so in their minds, Q was able to have all of the pros and none of the cons um, because to them, Q could be whoever they wanted it to be. Uh, but deep yeah. down, whenever I really grilled someone who believed in QAnon as to whether or not they actually wanted to know, they did. They, of course, they wanted to know who who was actually writing these drops, um, what their motives were, and I think that. And I and I, I've heard this now as well from people who have watched the series, whether they believe in QAnon or don't believe in QAnon, that understanding not only the mechanics behind Q, but also the personalities that were bringing it into the world and the ecosystem from which it emerged has changed their view of it. Um, yeah. You know, it's demystified it. Um, and I think to some extent it's taken a lot of the power away. So even if Q did have this meaning to a lot of people, understanding that that it was, you know, kind of trolls trolling trolls <laughs> and, it, and 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 the way in which it emerged, it does it does change um, it does change how they think about it. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean that they're gonna walk away and say, oh well. Everything I learned, or some of the research, they're not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater necessarily, but it 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 stops being this mystical operation when you when you just sort of see the ugly reality of like who's actually behind it. Yeah, and, and ironically, Q is like a good politician. Uh, it's kind of a blank slate, and you get out of it what you want to hear. Um, Barack Obama honestly was excellent at that. And for the right wing and some independents, Trump's really good at that. They hear what they want to hear. And if you're anonymous, that uh, takes away the cons and makes it even more possible to hear what you want to hear. Um, because it's not a real person, but in fact, it is a real person. So who's your best guess? And it's a very good one as to who it might be. Well. Um, I think that how Q started is different than how Q ended, but I think that it changed hands pretty early on. We know that there's a style change almost like a couple months into Q. And uh, the series is playing cat and mouse with uh, Ron Watkins and his father, Jim Watkins, and Fred, who's Fred, Fred Brennan, who started HN. And you're, you're, you're trying, you're, you're sort of trying to figure out, okay, are these guys behind it? Are they not? You're getting a lot of clues along the way. And then by the time we get to the end, and here's where we're going to get the big spoiler, you know, I was, uh, I, I had been playing, you know, like I just said, cat and mouse with Ron for a number of years. And he basically lets the cat out of the bag on camera in the final hour. Um, that was uh, November of 2020. Um, and I think that the reason that he comes as close as it possibly can to admitting it on camera without admitting it is partially because he wants the credit deep down, um, but Definitely. also because he can't say that he's Q. And I think that the reason for that is that there would be serious legal repercussions or he believes that there would be serious legal repercussions. I don't know exactly what they would be, but I know that he was concerned, he would be concerned about something like that. Um, so you know, so he comes as close as he can to admitting it without outright saying it. So if it's going on the message board, Achan, it's got to go through the people running Achan. So if Ron Watkins isn't Q, doesn't he almost certainly have to know who Q is? That's right. 
So even though there's tons of forensic evidence pointing at Ron, and I don't even include, like there's so much that I had to leave on the cutting room floor. But your point is apt in that in order for Q to operate at all, it would require Ron's blessing. I mean, Q is going onto these boards and using what's called a trip code, which is a very antiquated form of um, cryptography in order to validate itself. Ron Watkins can simply just see the password in clear text on his servers. He could steal it at any time he wanted to. You know, Q is only able to function with Ron's blessing. Um, there are a number of times Q could have left and said Q just doubles down and doubles down on staying at HN, um, tying itself to this site for, for no clear reason. And even after Q went down for three months, um, when Q returns, instead of coming up with an exit strategy, once again, Q just hitches its star to uh, the Watkinses. Um, which is in itself super suspicious. But I think that the series you, you watch along the way, um, and especially on rewatch, you can see all of these moments where Ron has like completely unreasonable insight into who the kind of red herrings he throws out at me along the way. Um, yeah, there's, there's, and, and with someone like Ron, it's the best clues are not necessarily in what he says, but in how he changes his story, what he knows one day, what he doesn't know the next. Um, you know, the, his motivations for uh, trying to, uh, for instance, he, he, in one episode comes out and says he thinks that it's Steve Bannon. Um, and, when you hear that, you go, well, why would Ron dox his most famous user? You know, and at that point, Ron was very aware <laughs> that he was my top suspect. Uh, and he, I think that he was hoping to, you know, throw up some shade. And, uh, and, and he provided me with a, what seemed like at the time, a very credible forensic trail. Um, and I think that he put a lot of effort into creating that forensics trail. So, I also kind of bring the audience along for the same journey that I experienced in trying to figure this figure this whole thing out. Yeah, I, I want to end on one quote from Ron Watkins because I thought it was so telling uh, about all of uh, media these days. He said something I learned a long time ago is that the internet personalities are just actors on a stage, making things larger than life makes for a better story and ultimately a more entertaining existence. And it's interesting because it parallels so closely what Andrew Breitbart told me right before he passed away. I did one of the last interviews with Andrew and he basically admitted that he had made up a story about there being rape at Occupy Wall Street. And he said, look, it's just all acting in essence, right? And we're all players on the stage. And I found that to be deeply disturbing. Because it isn't all acting, politics is really important and affects tons of millions, billions of people's lives. And they either have health insurance or they don't, they either have higher wages or they don't. We either go into wars and millions of people die or they don't. And it seems to me that there's a certain callousness in the, in this case, honestly, the right wing. There's no way around it, it's the right wing, right? Some portions of it that go, yeah, I don't care. I don't care about other people, I just wanna have fun. And so this is just a fun little exercise we're doing. And it's hard for us to relate to that 
because we think, no, what you're doing is really important and is having real life consequences. But that lack of empathy, I think, is driving them to just have fun with it. Um, I mean, Ron would say that empathy yeah. is is uh, is 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 a mistake. <laughs> you know, they don't. Um, none of those guys think that empathy is a good human trait. And I think that part of why someone like Ron would be able to play a role like Q is because that's how he thinks of it in his mind. It's a part, and you'll hear multiple times in the in the project that he does think of it all as being actors on a stage. And that quote you just read, that was something that Ron said after the whole series had premiered as an explanation to me. So I think it gives you a, in a way it's almost an admission in and of itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't share that sentiment, obviously. Um, I, I, I don't share that sentiment about empathy. And uh, and while you can cite the Shakespeare we're all actors on a on a stage, what part do you want to play if you do believe that? And and if you and unlike an unlike a play, you don't just walk away at the end of the day. There there are consequences for those actions. So while you can think about yourself as being a character, that character, you know, has responsibilities, obligations, and there are real consequences. And so I think that that is the, the sort of disturbing part of it. And I, while I can understand the, the sort of philosophy and the way and, and, and sort of it allows people to treat the world like it's a game, and they very much do treat the world like it's a game. I mean, Q was, that's what Q, I think, to them was. But <laughs> it, 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 it completely ignores the reality of the the human toll. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's why at, at the end, right after January the sixth, when it seemed like Trump was not going to quote unquote cross the Rubicon as Ron had hoped, and as many of his closest advisors had hoped, you know, Ron essentially just <laughs> throws down the controller and says, "Hey, um, friends we made along the way, right?" And uh, and uh, and those who were following Q um, really felt like they had been misled. You know, if there was a plan that they had been told to trust, it sure didn't come to fruition. And I think a lot of those who believe in Q are dealing still to this day with the sort of shattering consequences of having bought into this fantasy, hoping that it would become real, and then seeing the. The reality, and not just the and experiencing the reality, but not just experiencing it, but now for many of them, seeing the actual forces that were behind, and that's what we do in this series. Yeah, and ironically, the people they have the least amount of empathy for is their own followers, because their own followers believe them, and maybe oftentimes structure their life around that belief. And people like Ron appear to play with them without a care in the world as to the consequences that it has. And in fact, another part of that quote was, you know, Cullen, I identify more with villains, he said. And but what he seems to not understand is that, yeah, a villain in Star Wars is in a movie. A villain in real life is an actual villain. Yeah, I think he, I think he watches movies or is probably heavily influenced by anime. And sees himself as a character, um, and he's and maybe it's. I think a lot of people who are on the chan see themselves as sometimes as 
as monsters or see themselves as being outcasts. And maybe they identify more with villains who are often cast as monsters. So it doesn't surprise me that he would he would um, he would he would say something like that. And, and I mean, in society in general, we have a fascination with villains, right? Where the antiheroes and all of this is sort of exploring the darker side of humanity. Um, yep. But Ron is more willing than I think anyone I've ever met to, as he says, embrace infamy. Well, there you have it. All right, uh, Colin Hoback, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, you got to watch out uh, for, <laughs> you also have to watch Q Into the Storm. Uh, so it's on HBO and HBO Max. Uh, it's a six part series, it's amazing. Uh, please watch it. Colin, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate it.